Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Hey, yo. Oh, you guys can have a seat. Oh, man. Yo, how good was worship this morning? Yo, the Holy Spirit is moving in the house, is he not? Come on. Well, hey, this morning, uh, real quick before uh, I welcome my brother in arms up here, because uh, get ready today is going to be amazing. So get your notes out, get ready to take notes. Um, just want to say this real quick, to go off what Nikki said, to go off what, yo, Adrian was on another level on prayer and praise, come on. Oh my gosh, she is Stone Cold Steve Austin up here with some prayers, is she not? And uh, whooping up a can. Um, but yeah, hey, this morning, I just want to encourage you, our heart today is this. If the Bible says it, we believe it, and that settles it. I heard that quote yesterday from the great pastor Jude Foquay. If the Bible says it, we believe it, that settles it. And that's the reason we can lift up audacious prayers. That's the reason we can chase after God. That's the reason we can throw caution to the wind and instead lean into the presence of Christ. Amen. So this morning, before I invite Zach on up, I just want to read you the scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says this, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Did everybody get that? We should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, and especially the ability to prophesy. And let me tell you this, the reason I bring this up is because of this. Zach is someone who's incredibly gifted in prophecy. Let me tell you why that is. It's because he has earnestly desired it and when he is up to preach when he is it's his turn up to bat when he gets up on this stage I know that he's taken it before the Lord I know that he spent time in the presence of God and I know that since he earnestly pursues it God is more than happy to give him a word of knowledge today sound good so what I want you to do is this I want you to lean into what Zach has to say I want you to get behind his word I want you to get behind what the Spirit of God is doing in this place because I believe today is a timely word for me for you for this house and for this hour in the church amen so would you give it up as we welcome zach kramer mr temple fitness himself come on somebody thank you so much wow feels good to be up here again man like let's go i wasn't feeling so good at the beginning of the week i was like i i have one prayer and I know if there's a prayer that the Lord honors, it's, it's just my prayer of like, I don't know exactly the direction I'm going, but God, I need people to leave this place with just the impression of, holy cow, of course I want to serve you because you're so good. And that's the only thing that I could, I had to start off with. So I was a little nervous at the beginning of the week, and then I knew it was going to hit me at some point where it's like, imagine in, in a... What's the movie uh, Fast and Furious, where they have, a hel they have a car hanging from a helicopter, and they're just gunning it, foot on the gas, and then the helicopter drops the car, and the car's just going. That's what it feels like. You know, so I'm just like, all right, now I hit the gas, the chopper's about to drop, Matt says something, I'm running up the stairs, and let's get this thing. So um, I wanted to uh, start this off in somewhat of an, an unorthodox way. I want to, this is, today is, I don't know what today's going to be like. I'm covering, I don't have a, 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 a total, like one scripture, I have like 30 of them, because I'm doing something, something very bold, very audacious, something as 
probably pretty uh, difficult, well, it is going to be difficult to undertake because I'm kind of undertaking the entire body from, <laughs> of Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Whoo! Pray for you, boy. It, uh, it's going to be something. Um, but before we started, I, I, I don't know why, but I felt uh, uh, an urge to give us a little practice as to what it might look like to evangelize to somebody who uh, might not be a believer or might not believe in God at all. Okay? So for starting from this point, um, this is an exercise I've done with a few people, and it's so cool because you're, you're engaging with a person who doesn't believe in God or they just simply haven't really thought about it very much. And that's, that's, that's two places the devil loves to get somebody to, is, man, I just don't really care, or, nah, I don't like God, I don't believe in God. So I got three questions that I've, I've, uh, I've, I've developed, the Lord gave me, to really break this off of somebody. So an exercise that I've done with people that I'd like to do with you guys is, let's just pretend, okay, you're an, I have an atheist friend. Who has an atheist friend or a friend that just isn't a believer? Good. That's a good thing. So you can do this with somebody. It's just going to totally break, break the bondage that they're in. It's so crazy. So um, I have three questions. Where did we come from? What is the point or what's our purpose? And what happens when we die? So what I do with this person is I'm like, hey, you come to them with complete confidence because the truth can stand by itself. So I, like, lies need to be defended, lies need to be fought for, because they don't actually have a real foundation. But the truth that I have is I'm cool, I'm confident, and I'm chill. So I come to them, and I'm like, all right, so let's just for a second, let's both be atheists for a second. Let's, let's, let's really dive in, believe for a moment, and try to justify that God's not real for a moment. I'll do it with you, and then we'll, do, we'll, we'll take the other stance, and we'll do the same thing. So uh, where did we come from? But what's what's like an atheistic point of view that some, you might you might hear have heard somebody say? Evolution. Evolution. Okay, but what about before that? Big bang. The Big Bang theory. Okay, so all right, now you don't make that's a lot of stuff. Some space dust, you know, made a baby with a space rock, and you know, all of a sudden. But where did the space dust and the space rock come from? But it's like let's just move on from there. We can sleep at night. But these are three questions you have to answer in my mind in order to sleep at night. So okay. Those are a few that I've heard. I've heard those before, right? Um, so what is the point? I, I don't believe in God. This is my origin. What's the point of life? If you don't believe in God, you're, you're trying to believe that God is not real anyway. What, what's something that you would say? Short answers only. Happiness. Trying to just, points to be happy. Good person. To be a good person, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Just make to make it through. Just survival. Yeah. I've heard that before. Leave a legacy. Um, Great. Okay, those, those are all good things. Legitimately, those are good. Those are all good things, right? Um, okay, but there's a big one. What happens when we die? So if you're, if you're you came from this little amoebas that evolved into who you are today, and your purpose is to be happy, what happens when you die? If that's if that's all there is to it, nothing. Getting by worms. Sweet. So by presenting this with your, your friend, you're just like, really just sitting there with each other like, I'm ready to swing now. Like, like I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to tell you even, like at this point, I'm not even trying to get, convince you about the God of the Bible. I'm just trying to convince that there is a higher power at this point. But then after that, I can, I can solidify all of the reasons, okay? So then I'd be like, okay, so from a God standpoint, not saying it's Jesus or, you know, the God that we believe in. Let's just try to convince them there's a higher power, right? So where did we come from? 
And they're like, okay, maybe they haven't thought about this, cool. They would probably argue, well, the same argument that you said for me about the space dust, where did the space dust come from? I would say, well, it's, it's more easy for me to believe that there is an all-powerful God that relies on absolutely nothing. There, he, he needed no creator in the first place, but instead he was and always is. And he, he, he structured the confines of what we, what we know as time itself already. It makes more sense to me that some dust <laughs> did not do that for itself. But there is just a God that is so powerful, so beautiful, so magnificent, just so much farther outside of our comprehension that could have started this reaction to, to, to make us who we are and where we are. And a scripture for this is, uh, which, which is so cool because scripture backs up everything that it says, and it's not by accident. When Moses um, sees the burning bush, Moses isn't thinking like, oh, the bush isn't burning up because God doesn't need anything to supply him with the energy and the chemical reaction to make it happen. Like, Moses isn't thinking this. He's just simply thinking, where's the scripture? Um, I can't find it. But it says, <laughs> it says in there, um, that the, the bush was not burned up. The reason for this is, is because God in and of himself is absolutely everything that is required for him to exist. He doesn't need anything above him. He doesn't need a, a, an item to burn. He doesn't need oxygen there in order to create the heat reaction to create fire. He in and of himself is completely self-reliant and equipped to exist all on his own. Moses isn't thinking this far. He's just saying, and it just happens that the Bible is is confirming the, the, this, this is what we're talking about um, in this little point. So they say, okay, so that's what we would say. I mean, I feel more comfortable than, within the space dust. I feel more comfortable about an all-powerful God. And most people will agree with you. Um, then you'll say, what is the point? So we thought, you know, be happy before. Well, now we're on to, I would say that the point of a creation is completely dictated and judged by the creator or the designer, right? So if we're believing in, in a God, I, I would hope that this God is a good God, that he is a God that is designing me for something good, something, something holy, something awesome, and something powerful. So I was like, Christianity, we're, we're created to glorify the Lord. That's, that's, that's our thing, right? So uh, we're talking, okay, cool. Okay, yeah, it, that makes sense. If we're created by something, we're created for a point of a purpose for something. I'll tell you, at my gym, I, it, brings, it brings me glory when I see that the gym is full and it's operating and it's doing, it's doing well. That my, my creation, not that I created by myself or anything like this, but it brings me glory that the thing that I, I have designed is doing well. So it would make sense that, you know, God would create something for us to do well to, uh, under the organized design, that it brings him glory. That's what creative stuff does. So what happens when we die, though? This is the last one that ties all of it. Um, I would, it would make sense that the only, only person that has any, any judgment as to what happens when we die would be the guy that created us in the first place. It, it ties back into what your purpose is um, in question two. So every single culture instilled in every single human being 
whether they believe in God or they believe in this God or they believe in this or that, we all have heaven and hell instilled in our DNA. That that's an idea that if you go, go to this island that's secluded from everybody, they have an idea of right and wrong, heaven and hell, and trying to not go to hell, <laughs> you know, in one way or another. So it's, this is much easier um, to evangelize in these types of ways to especially these types of people. It's much harder to evangelize to people who simply don't like God because you have to convince them that he's actually, he's actually awesome. So this is just a little tool that just like I want us to dive in and to, to, from that standpoint just be like, oh, okay, there is, there is a lot that plays together in scriptures to really capitalize on how good God is. And I, ho- I hope that you can go to this friend and you can confidently just present this, this little conversation to them um, because it's, it's, it always blows, blows their mind and gets the conversation started yeah. about the gospel. Yeah. So Grant, a couple um, uh, team rallies ago, he's like, you got one minute to share the gospel. And I was partnered with Mike, uh, Michael, right? So he sets the timer for one minute. Michael kills it. I got saved all over again. It was beautiful. Well done. <laughs> And then it was my turn. I'm like, you know what I'm saying? I, I preach sometimes, so uh, I'm going to be better than him. So he hits the timer, and, he, and I say, in the beginning. And then he says, time. And I was like, I, <laughs> I was like, Eve didn't even bite, bite, the, bite the fruit yet. And it was just like, I was like, that was, that was one minute. He's like, yeah, that was one minute. I was like, all right. So this is the gospel that I would have told Mikey if Grant didn't actually hit start on the timer. This, uh, so forgive, forgive me for that weird little, little practice thing. I want, I want, I just felt, felt called. If there's somebody online, there's somebody watching live that is in that place that knows me and might not be a believer. Um, do that practice. Don't sleep until you know that. But this is the beauty in, in, in what secures all of us of how good Jesus is and how good he, uh, his message is and how just he weaves through the entire scripture. Um, so if you want to title your message, take some notes, please. Um, and I'm going to do my best. Please, please call me out if, I, if you need me to repeat uh, the scripture um, because there's going to be a lot of them. And you should be able to follow the train of all my scriptures to um, re-preach um, it to you at a later time. So in the beginning, uh, in Genesis 1, uh, 2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty. The word formless a lot uh, can also be interpreted as to who, which means a place of chaos. A lot of scholars believe that between verse 2 and verse 3, where it says, God says, let there be light, that there is an entire world being, uh, and story being explained, where heaven and hell had this breaking in this chaos, where, where uh, uh, Lucifer breaks off from heaven and wants to be God for himself. And there's this little war, in this, and that's how we get you know, the serpent. Because, well, where's the serpent? We don't have that, that preceding story um, in Genesis, at least. And so a lot of scholars believe that that breaking in that war that's talked about later on in the Bible is within this, this small scripture, this one verse and one, one word where it says the, the earth was formless or it was a place of chaos. It was like a wilderness. It was emptiness. Um, and dark covered the surface of the watery depths. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. I really want to emphasize today from the beginning to the end that God is a redemptive God, that he loves us so much, that you will see examples um, throughout where God is, um, 
using an example of either somebody in the Old Testament who did a good job and he redeems and fulfills it to the highest extent, or he sees one of somebody in the Old Testament do something wrong and something bad that's taught about, and he completely flips it on his head and redeems it for what it what it should be. Um, so, Adam. Uh, so in Genesis three eight through eleven. So this is after um, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the garden. Something's wrong. Adam and Eve hear God walking among the trees in the garden. And God calls out to them. He says, where are you? And they said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree in which I commanded you not to eat? Now, here's, here's something, a, a, a thought process that I'm, I'm I, I, it's not a hill that you need to live or die on, but I, I truly believe that God was actually asking them where they were actually located. We know that God is omnipresent. He can know all things, but I think there's such a beauty in an actual relationship where God isn't using his nanny cam to check on you all the time, but instead he, 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 he's with you, he knows you, he loves you, and he completely trusts you. Like, if you love me and you have to keep a nanny cam all the time to make sure I'm actually loving you back, that's, that's pretty messed up. That's not really, you know, a great relationship, right? That's, you would say that's not right, right? So just to, uh, conf- uh, <laughs> you know, this is because I've heard it preached a lot of ways. God is like, hey, where are you? And he's like, I know where they are. He's behind that bush. He's not very, <laughs> he's not very good at this, you know, but I truly believe that God's, God, God was like hurt and broken and like, yo, where are you guys? Like, what happened? Why would you hide from me? Like, like I am, I have given you everything. I've done everything for you. And I have been committed to make sure that you have everything supplied for you so that you can live um, perfectly with me. So I believe he was um, actually asking and wondering, restraining himself from this, this, this all-knowingness of watching the nanny cam on them because he wanted a right and holy relationship with them. An example of this um, would be uh, 1 Samuel 9.16, where um, Samuel is going to anoint Saul to be king, right? So he says, Tomorrow about this time, Emmanuel and Benjamin, you shall anoint him to be prince over Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For because Israel was crying out and they wanted a king like everybody else, right? So God honored that and he did that and he chose Saul. He said, this is the guy. Um, in 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, it reconfirms this as Samuel actually does the action of anointing him. But in 1 Samuel 15, 11, God um, gave Saul um, a, a command to war with these people and commit them to complete destruction. And he didn't do that. He took the spoils of war and he treated his people because he wanted to keep morale up. And God says this, keeping in mind what, what I said before, what God said before about Saul, he says, I regret, I regret that I have made Saul king for he has turned his back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So God can see the future, right? That's the, he, he knows all these things. But in this, in this relationship with his anointed one, it seems weird that it seems like, wait, did God make a mistake? Because why would he set himself up for regret? It seems weird, right? Um, but there's examples of this again in uh, uh, Genesis 18 when Abraham is uh, pleading for God not to destroy Sodom. He's like, I'm going to destroy them all. He's like, what if there's 100? 
And he's like, all right, if there's 100 righteous people, I won't. He's like, what about this many? What about this many? He's like, please don't kill me, but what if there's like 10? And he's like, all right, I won't if there's 10 righteous people. So get his anointed one, Abraham, changes his mind. In Exodus, when Moses says he can't do something, God is like, who gave you your tongue in the first place? He's like, you know what, forget it. I'll, make, I'll have Aaron do it. He, 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 in a wrong way, changed God's mind. In Jeremiah, um, there's another example, and so on. So there's this real relationship that I want you guys to, to really think about. When God is walking through the garden, he's like, where are my kids? Something's wrong. What is going on? In Genesis 3.21, there is a, it says, And the Lord made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is such a deep and foretelling verse of, of the sacrifice of Jesus. It's just one little word. We can skip over it. We've read it a billion times. It's so easy to, to just wash over. But I believe in this moment, God's heart is absolutely destroyed, and he has to take the first step of redemption, keeping in mind his son, Jesus, as he, as, he, as he calls this innocent animal to come to himself, an animal that he created that doesn't know anything, that has no reason to be afraid of, <laughs> of, his, of his master, comes willfully so that God can sacrifice and kill so that he can clothe Adam and Eve. For the first time, blood is being seen on the earth. Can you imagine this moment where you just, you know you messed up, and, and, and God has to cut this animal, peel its skin off, so that you can be clothed from your nakedness. He, in this moment, God is taking a knee, and he is fully preparing so that you can, you can carry on in the way that you wish, completely clothed by a gift that he Oh my gosh. Completely keeping in mind that he is like, there is a redemption process that I'm going to have to go through because this animal is not going to be a right clothing forever. There's so much significance uh, in blood. So in, uh, in Genesis 4, 8 through 10, just a chapter later, uh, we know all about Cain and Abel. But a significant verse is that after Cain kills his brother, God says, where's your brother? He says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Think about this. The blood talks. The blood is crying out to the Lord. Like, think, you can think a little bit about, like, okay, what would Abel's blood be crying out? What, it, what would it be saying? Would it be saying, like... <laughs> Cain did it, <laughs> or like, Cain's guilty, like, like, help me, like, like, the first murder, possibly the first, the first death that, that, of course, the first death that's recorded by a person, but maybe nobody has ever died before yet, and it's because a brother cracked another brother in the head, and blood cries out to the Lord from the ground. So we have a more blood um, being, um, being demonstrated in Exodus. So Exodus 12, 7, um, during the Passover. So, of course, uh, we, we know about the plagues and this and that, but the Lord uses um, 
uses blood to separate his people from, from the Egyptians. So he has them slaughter a lamb and, and paint the blood around the whole doorpost. Um, this is a sign because of this blood that they are being set apart and they are marked by the Lord and that nobody can touch them. There's another really cool example that brings us right into communion where um, Saul takes the Holy Spirit away from, or God takes the Holy Spirit away from Saul in the Old Testament, and he anoints David to be king. But in this time, Saul is still the king, and he, it says that he's being tormented by a demon. And there's, all, the, he, there's nobody that can, that can make him feel better except for David. And he doesn't even know that, like, this is the guy that's going to take his spot. So listen to the prophetic nature of this. So David is sent by his dad, Jesse. And it says, And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread. Bread, interesting. And a skin of wine. That's interesting, too. And a goat. And sent him by David to, uh, to his son, to Saul. So <laughs> David is going into, into the kingdom with a donkey, with bread, with wine. Isn't this crazy? This is absolutely crazy. And what is his mission? <laughs> David's mission is to go to the ruler, not yet to overthrow, not yet, but to silence these demons so that the, so that the kingdom that God has, has blessed can be carried on in some form, uh, some form in order. Um, just, just, just the parallels of that are absolutely crazy. That it's just foretelling when Jesus is walking into Jerusalem and he's going to do the exact same thing. Um, in, Luke, uh, in Luke 19, so we're in the New Testament now. Man, this is crazy. I've, I hope, I hope that this is like you can actually track with me because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's trackable. Okay, good. <laughs> so um, in Luke 19, uh, 39 through 40, um, Jesus is doing the same exact action in walking into Jerusalem on a donkey, the bread of life, the wine, the blood himself that's going to cleanse everybody and fully right what was wronged is marching into the kingdom um, that everybody thought he was going to overthrow in a completely different way. But he does it peace, peacefully, just like David went in peacefully. Um, the Pharisees told Jesus, um, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones will cry out. Remember that. The very stones will cry out. Jesus is walking, in, uh, on a, riding a donkey into the... And he says, the very stones will cry out when nobody is praising. If everyone's silent, rocks will praise me. We'll get back to that. Um, <laughs> so later on, um, this happens, that happens. Um, and it's time for the Passover, and Jesus is having communion with his disciples. He calls out one of the homies, saying, like, dude, you ain't even a real one. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> you know, you, but I ain't going to say who, but... He's over here. So <laughs> communion is such a beautiful representation of, of everything that was preceded in the Old Testament because um, by taking communion, 
we are applying the blood to our doorpost, which, which would be our mouth, in marking us as separate and holy to the Lord. So we're, we're taking this in, we're taking and saying, I'm not pleading my blood over myself. I'm not pleading my own strength, my own salvation, my own sacrifice that I could give. But I'm saying this communion and this, this wine that Jesus says is his, uh, his blood. I'm marking myself and making myself pure. I'm making myself clean. I just hope that w when we read the Old Testament, we can just see Jesus just setting himself up for a home run in all of these ways. After this, we see Jesus go into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives, which is a very mountain that they would, they would squeeze olives to make anointing wine to anoint the kings of Israel to rule. Jesus is in the garden. And there's so many, uh, so many parallels between blood. So when you read blood anywhere in the Bible, I want you to think about Jesus and wine. I want you to think about blood in the Old Testament and think about um, oil. So you, we need to connect these things because there's so much symbolism in the Bible that's just demonstrating. Because otherwise Jesus would have cut his wrist and filled a cup up with it and been like, no, actually drink my blood. Like, actually do that. He didn't do that. He, he's using wine as a representation of, of himself. So Jesus is in the garden, and we know he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me, but let your will be done. Yeah. Jesus is, 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 is sweating blood. Yeah. He's, he's being absolutely crushed, just like a grape is being crushed to produce holy wine that sets us all apart. Yeah. He, he, is, he is going through the winemaking process so that you and I can be completely made separate on this holy mountain that has so much, so much symbolism and so much beauty in it. He's, he's sitting there and he is saying, I will do anything for these people. From back, back from when he, he, God, God slaughtered that animal to clothe us, he's sitting there and saying, I will in the same way do whatever it takes to be used to clothe you guys. So this brings us to um, Jesus being, being sacrificed. He's on the cross, and he, he gives up his, his spirit. This seems, from, both, from one angle of the devil, complete and absolute a win. The earth gets dark. They're like, yo, we got him. <laughs> Earthquakes, <laughs> rocks start busting apart. This is the part I was talking about earlier. There is no praise anymore. God is dead. There is no praise to be found anywhere. Everyone is silent. The man himself is shriveled. His bones are, are, are sticking out from being so sickly. He doesn't look like God at all. He looks pathetic and sad. And bleeding, he doesn't even look like he used to anymore. Hair is out of place. Completely dominated by the Roman soldiers and just complete and absolute hopelessness. There was no praise in the land. And what he said earlier is, if they are silent, then the rocks will praise me. So the rocks could not contain themselves. They started shaking and busting apart. Wow. <laughs> the earth <laughs> starts to rattle and quake. Yeah, come on, come on. The veil tears in the temple yeah. to say there is no separation anymore. But in this moment, Somebody has to still rise from the dead, and he doesn't got a lot of meat on his bones. He's going to be pretty weak. 
it's just so hard to believe, but if you put yourself in this, in this space of absolute hopelessness, it makes it so much more beautiful of how powerful God is. Because it says in Revelation, um, fear not, uh, Revelation 1, 17 through 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. So in this time that, that Jesus has died, he's doing something. Yeah. He's doing something down in hell. For three days, whether that's the same as earth days or in spiritual, spiritual time, it's a little bit different. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But just imagine the absolute victory party that's going on in hell. Yeah. We're all hanging out. We're all chilling. And then the man himself walks in. And he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't look, he's, he looks mean. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, and, and in Revelation, which I'll, cover, I'll talk about in a second, Revelation 5, when Jesus takes the scroll, I imagine it's the same exact thing. He's like, these keys were not yours in the first place. Can you imagine the party going on? Oh, man. I'm so pumped. We got this. And then the guy, the last guy in the world you want to see walks in. You can hear, you can hear the jingle of the keys when, when he slams his hand on the table and takes them and just walks out. Oh, man. That's our God. This is all just too perfect. So I, I just, this might not be the longest sermon in the world, but <laughs> I just, whether it be long or whether it be short, I just, I, I pray, we don't want to keep you, we want to take you. If that takes forever, sick. If it doesn't take forever, cool. We, we don't want to keep you here. We want to take you, take your heart, take your spirit where God is and, and show you what, what he has to say. So, if the worship team wants to come up, I, um, I was actually hoping this would be a little bit short because I don't want you to have uh, any, any little feeling of like, oh, I really got to get out of here. I'm hungry. You know what I'm saying? I want, to, I want to really have you be so comfortable to be able to just dwell in this last song, to be able to just spend some time together. No urgency to go anywhere. I know it's natural. We all feel it sometimes. But, man, this is, uh, this is the moment where, where we're not just celebrating the Jesus who died for us to make us clean because we are not going to be the spiritual leaders that we should be if we keep on preaching a gospel of Jesus died for us and not teach the rest of it. Because if he died for us, then he saved us and we're good, right? But there's so much more of the gift that is given because he rose from the dead and because of what he's going to do in the future. So, in Revelation 5, I'm going to read the first 10 verses. So, John is on an island. He's in like a vision state, and the Lord is, is visiting him um, and speaking with him. And he says, Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. The chapter before this talks about what it looks like diamonds and, and rainbows, just colors that you've never seen before. And it's just like, it makes you 
just feel so small trying to put yourself in his position. That like the throne is so big, the colors are so bright, and you just are like, I don't belong here. Like this is, this is crazy that I get to see this stuff. He says, I saw at the right hand of him, I saw the scroll with the seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And then a search, a search goes out and it says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. This is absolute hopelessness in this moment that he's feeling. He says, he began, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. A search went out and nobody could do it. And this is where we come in. This is, this is what we do as Christians, as one of the elders. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll in his seven seals. In its perfection, the elder knew who it was and he saw a lion. But it says here that John saw a lamb. They see different, different things. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He's still wearing his scars. He still doesn't, doesn't look like what you, you would expect power to look like. He still looks beaten and battered. But he rises up. It says, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into the earth. And he sent, and he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The significance of this is that he is taking back what he has rightfully bought and owned. He is taking back the deed and the ownership of his house. Matt, you, got, you guys got a deed to your house, right? What does that mean? You own it. It's yours. If somebody took it, you have every right to snatch it back because you bought it. It's yours. You own it. And Jesus has in this moment done everything he, 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 he could and that he should in full righteous payment to walk up and be the only one when absolutely everything seemed hopeless and that there was nobody powerful enough. There's nobody with enough money. There's nobody with enough muscle. There's nobody with enough anything, the biggest army to make it happen. But the one who made it happen was the slain lamb that stands up, goes to the father and snatches out of his hand what was his in the first place to execute the plan and the contents of it so that we can all be absolutely free. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Just a little touch point on the prayers of the saints. Um, isn't it cool that God is in heaven and he can breathe the goodness and the smell of us praying to him. He breathes in what's, what, what is important to us, what, what we need and what we ask for. He's sitting there on his throne and he's, he, he, he just breathes in and takes a whiff 
He says, I love it when my people pray. I love it. <laughs> like that's what he fills his, his temple up with. You praying. Oh my gosh. That's what he chooses to smell. <laughs> like, he chooses to, to listen, to smell, to know, and just fill up his absolute atmosphere with what we have to say and ask and pray and praise him with. Then it says, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. I, I pray that we can, um, in this last song, we can really just go to, go to a deeper level. I want you to picture a few things. I want you to picture a few things with me. I want to go through the whole sermon and just, just, just think and reflect on how badly God loves you and how much he wants to redeem you and how much he just wants to give himself to you. We were naked and we were not clothed. We, we, we could not take care of ourselves, but God sent an innocent one to be slain so that you could wear and be completely equipped and ready and fulfilled and clothed in every way that you need to be to carry on with exactly what our purpose is, is to glorify him. Why? Because he created you. It's beautiful that when Jesus came back, he chose to be a carpenter because it's so in him that he wants to create. It's so in him that everything that he wants to do is to serve. A chair is to serve you. A table is to serve you. A house. Because everything under its right creation and under its right design is going to glorify the master. It's going to glorify the designer. What song we got? None like you? Heck yeah. So, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the heck out of here. Um, I'm just going to pray us out real quick. Um, Lord, I just pray that you would just, you would just bless us and you just be so thick this place if you guys want to rise and stand up you want to you want to come to the front or whatever you feel like you got to do i just pray lord that you would just move in such a way that lord we would just have such a deep understanding of the sacrifice and what you went through as just a symbol and, and, and as a beauty of how badly you wanted to be with us so lord i pray that you just help us to submit you'd help us to put ourselves aside just help us to sit down for a moment and just, Lord, we would just make the main thing the main thing. The Lord, we are here to glorify you with everything that we got. So Lord, Holy Spirit, I just, I just pray that you would just completely fill this room up, that you would just be with us. You would allow us to see your face, to see your glory when there was nobody capable, nobody holy enough, no one good enough to save us Jesus, you rose up and you took care of everything that needed to be taken care of. In this moment, Jesus, we just want to come and sit down and dwell with you and just say you thank you, God. Thank you for everything that you've done for us. 
I want to lay down the things that have kept me from you. And I want to choose to be completely clothed and redeemed by you and nothing else. In Jesus' name, move through this song. Completely change us from the inside out. Of course I want to serve you, Jesus. Show us how good you are.